Hi there, House Culture listener. If you enjoy this episode or have enjoyed listening to other episodes in our series, please support and donate to us through the Acast Supporter feature. All donations will help us create the content that you love listening to. You can decide how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So it could be a one-off and every now and then or once every time you listen. It's really up to you. Click on the supporter link in the episode description and with Google or Apple Pay, it will take you less than 30 seconds to make your contribution. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, here's Tino, Purple Disco Machine, and you're listening to the House Culture Podcast. House Culture Hello everybody and welcome to the final episode of season 3 of the House Culture Podcast hosted as ever by me, the Managing Editor at House Culture, Matt Rouse Yes, you heard it right, we're bringing our third season to a close with this episode which is possibly the biggest one of the lot from 2021 We will be back in the new year so don't cancel your subscription just yet because the conversations will be as exciting and illuminating as you're used to. So we have some stellar names already lined up for season four. Watch this space. But before we say our goodbyes from this year, I want to say a heartfelt thank you to you, the listener. First of all, thanks for tuning in, but also for all of the messages of support and general positive vibes we've received from releasing these podcasts. It is honestly what makes it all worthwhile, especially during the difficult period we've all had. If you're a new listener and you're wondering what I am talking about, we are House Culture, a collective of house music fans who have come together through our mutual love of the beat to celebrate the spirit of house music. If you haven't already, come and party with us on Instagram at HouseCultureNet and also make sure you dig through what is now a substantial back catalogue of podcast episodes that feature conversations with legends such as Fatboy Slim and David Morales, leaders of the new school like Alan Fitzpatrick and Medusa, industry scenesters like Pike's Hotel creative director Dawn Hindle and Kiss FM founder Gordon Mack, and some of the hardest working people in the business, like the man who brought dance music to Glastonbury, Malcolm Haynes, or the percussion sensation that is Bongo Ben. Honestly, if you have any interest in the world of dance music, I guarantee you will love the chat we have with our handpicked guests. So, let's get on with this episode, shall we? It's a big one, as I chat to a DJ and producer who, with the release of his brand new album Exotica, is arguably the biggest name in dance music right now. Known to his friends as Tino, but to the rest of the world, he is Purple Disco Machine. 
In our chat, you'll hear how, as a young music lover growing up in East Germany, Tino discovered just how much music was out there after the Berlin Wall came down. It was the first time we, we drove to the west part of Germany and there were walls full of CDs and vinyls and I've never seen things like this before. And there was just music everywhere and it was like I'm in heaven. How his first creation under the Purple Disco Machine name put him on the map? I started Purple Disco Machine. It was just me making music and the music I really loved. I started with the My House song. I was listening to William Bell Private Number for years. So, and I always said, I feel this could be something for the dance floors. I decided to send this one to labels and then they signed it. And after the release, yeah, my whole life changed. And he gives us his thoughts on what binds us all together in this wonderful scene of ours. The music is what brings everyone together, black and white, all kinds of religion. On the dance floor, no one cares who the guy next to you is. We share one passion for music and everyone is equal. So this is also something what makes me happy every week. And this is something which connects everyone. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. This is Purple Disco Machine. House Culture. Hi Tino, thanks so much for joining us on the House Culture podcast. You're well known by alter ego Purple Disco Machine, an in-demand DJ who currently sits at number two in the Beatport all-time top 100 artist list. You've remixed people as diverse as Lady Gaga, Foles, Calvin Harris and Elton John and you're celebrating the release of your second album called Exotica. However, We always like to go back and start at the very beginning with our guests. Can you tell us what it was like growing up in Dresden, in what was East Germany at the time and how you discovered music there? Um, Yeah, so first of all, yeah, hi, thanks for having me. It's it's a pleasure to be here now. And yeah, um, how everything started, it was like, definitely my parents had a big, um, yeah, big influence of my not my musical taste or my love for electronic music, but just how I... uh, became obsessed from music at all so they had kind of a a bigger record collection my father was uh, really into music Um, my actually both of my parents they were listening to music all the time and I grew up in the east part of Germany so it was a bit different uh, because most of the music uh, for some political issues were were banned by the government so it wasn't just uh, well yeah my parents weren't allowed to listen to all kinds of music, so they couldn't experience all these great songs in the in the seventies, kind of disco funk from from America. But they were more into um, rock, um, East German rock. And but my father took a lot of effort to to go to Czech or Hungary to go to black markets to get the the vinyls there. So he already um, had this kind of passion for music. Um, I have now so Mm -hmm. yeah I got it from them and I just remember every day on the radio or every day on the turntable we we listened to music and it was like music was just all around and for me uh, I think they took me to concerts um, after the wall uh, fall and uh, 90 or 89 Mm -hmm. so they took me to a few concerts my I think my first big concert was I think I was 13 or 14 so it must be 92 93 was phil collins mm-hmm. and I, I was at that time i was a huge phil collins fan so he was one of my biggest idols at that time and i was just following 
uh, Genesis and Phil Collins. I wasn't listening and collecting everything he'd released. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just loved the first concert. It was also my first contact to, to, to live music, to a band and to, to this kind of yeah mood and energy on a, on a live concert. So um, yeah, from that day on, I knew, okay, I will spend all my money and buying CDs and vinyls and was just obsessed with music and generally. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned like your father used to travel to to Czechoslovakia to to pick up music as well I mean how was that as a change for for you as a young guy growing up what was that point where you found you could buy your own music and what was that like kind of discovering you know record stores after the wall came down and things like that what was what was the difference there was there a real marked change to be honest I just actually can't remember how it was before because as the wall came down I was nine Mm -hmm. so I've I don't know how it was to to not be able to travel or I feel I, I actually had a good time so uh, my first 10 years and never felt I'm limited or I can't do things so mm-hmm. but yeah for my parents what's different so uh, especially if you love music and then you realize okay most of the music um, you're not allowed to to listen to or not on the radios you you will never see artists performing artists you really like guys mm-hmm. like uh, Peter Gabriel or Pink Floyd my father was really into it so uh, in the east part of Germany it wasn't just able to to see one of those guys because they never came to to the DDR to perform or mm-hmm. it was also not possible to get out uh, to to see them somewhere else but I think after the war I was just there's just one story I uh, remember was I think it was also like 1991 or two it was the first time uh, we, we we drove to uh, to the west part of Germany and we drove I think towards Bavaria mm-hmm. and I think it was Munich or Bayreuth or a, a city like this and we went I went with my parents and my sister for the first time in a in a in a yeah music market it was called Media Markt mm-hmm. and there were f- walls full of CDs and vinyls and I've I've never seen uh, things like this before mm-hmm. and it was just music everywhere and it was like I've, I felt I, I'm I'm in heaven. So and then I just, I remember my parents or my father said, okay, you get ten euros and you ca- can buy one single. Oh, and I was just running around and I got an hour and I was just running around and I had no idea what to buy because I I mean there was so much music from artists I've never heard before. Mm-hmm. And uh, so and I, I knew my father bought a CD player on that day and said, okay, everyone can can buy a CD. I will. I sought out the the CD player, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, that was the the first time ever I I feel like okay now I'm I have access to to all kinds of music actually literally to everything yeah and yeah. um so yeah it was 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 quite a yeah important day for me. <laughs> Can you remember what you bought? What it was that you spent that precious money on? I think I bought Inner Circle with sweat. Okay. <laughs> don't ask me why, but <laughs> I think it must be 1993 or four. I don't know. It was but a it was tune, like, a big this tune song. At the time. <laughs> I mean, in Germany, yes. Mm. This song was on the radios all the time, and I just love this kind of summer vibe. Um, this this positive. Mm. Um, yeah beach vibe and I, I was really into it and, and for, for me as a guy who've never seen a beach or I've never went to 
one mm-hmm. um yeah i was like uh this must be the paradise and <laughs> i tried to to uh, get at least a piece of of this kind of uh beach feeling back home mm-hmm. yeah and it's interesting that you could probably look back on that now and that's you know technically almost influenced you you might say without even knowing it or, or realizing it yeah so i mean it, it wasn't the record what influenced me a lot but uh i think i was uh was a bit like under pressure from timing <laughs> and so I was and this is the only record I knew and mm. I could afford for 10 euros so I was like okay I think I'm happy with this one and then after a few years later I just I think another big uh big influence for me is definitely Daft Punk mm-hmm. and I was I think it was like 1996 it was a few years later then I I was at school and I started um yeah we started throwing school parties mm-hmm. this typical in the basement we were throwing school parties and with a friend of mine he already um used to be a dj so he had turntables and everything and he played music and i just started uh yeah pretending to be a dj uh, and and just trying to to do my thing and Mm -hmm. so this was my i would say second or third contact uh, to the music professional life and Mm -hmm. then i just remember it was 90 i think it was 96 then uh, one day he uh, played us Daft Punk, uh, the the homework album. Yeah, yeah. And this day, especially this record, changed my whole life. So I think we we played this song for like the whole night. Mm-hmm. Everyone was quite annoyed because we played <laughs> the same songs again and again. It was like a school party with uh, different uh, yeah classes, and we played the same songs and again and again. And uh, but I, I was just so in love with with those kind of music Mm. because i was really into disco and funk already Mm -hmm. but in the original stuff Mm -hmm. but they the punk did for the first time they showed me how to uh move on with with this kind of uh disco music to a totally different level so Mm -hmm. they were transporting the music to another level they Mm -hmm. uh this this kind of sampling and filtering and was was completely new for me and i from that day on i knew okay okay, I think I want to produce music and I want to do exactly this. The music I love just in a, in a new way, just sampling stuff, mm-hmm. just in a new, more groovy, more funky, uh, more dance for playable uh, way. Um, amazing. I mean, and that album is completely seminal. You know, it's, it's influenced. We've talked to quite a few people on this podcast and, you know, they can pinpoint that album as having a big light bulb, you know, moment change for them in their kind of mentality about looking and, and listening to to dance music. I mean, when you were playing that and seeing people, re- you know, they might have got annoyed, but were people reacting to it in terms of you were making them move with this music, with playing them? Was, was that kind of a thing that you saw and thought, hang on, I can, you know, I want to get some decks and become a DJ and move people in this way? Or did that naturally kind of happen anyway? I was... I was actually never obsessed from playing in front of people. So I was more, I was, I think even I was scared about because I'm, I'm at school. I was, I'm still more the kind of introvert guy. Mm-hmm. And it always scared me to, 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 to think about playing in front of real people. So for me, that the goal was just to, to learn the technical, yeah, the handcraft of being a DJ. So I was never obsessed with uh, getting the fame or staying in front of the crowd and 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 see the crowd moving or so. I was I was more into I, I really enjoyed the music and I was obsessed watching 
um, DJs playing on the television. It was, I think, mid-90s was the time when we had on, on channels like MTV or Viva, we had a lot of music where DJs just uh, played and, and they sometimes they even tried to, to explain the technical skills and everything. So I, I used this just to, to, to start with something and I, I spent all my money and I was saving money for, for a long time. And then I bought my first turntable, mm -hmm. a turntable. Uh, at that time, I couldn't afford a proper one. So I just bought, I think, a belt-driven one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is quite pain in the ass. So I just can't recommend <laughs> starting with this. But oh, I mean, man. in the beginning, I didn't have that much money. I had one belt-driven mm -hmm. turntable and one CD player. So And, and then a, to a channel mixer. That's how everything started. And yeah. um, in the beginning, I was really frustrated because uh, playing on a belt rhythm is just, is, like I said, it's just painting the ass. Yeah. But afterwards, as I got my first, uh, as I played my first gig and then suddenly I had two, two techniques mm -hmm. uh, in front of me, it was like, oh, this it's so easy. It's super easy. Everything is working so and it's fading well. And it was like, Uh, it's a totally different level. So yeah. uh, from that day on, I, 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 I realized, I think it was the best uh, training ever to start on a belt driven. Now I can play on, on every rubbish turntable. I think I can, I can do it now. <laughs> Absolutely. I completely feel your pain about learning on a belt drive turntable. Like that's exactly how I started. And yeah, like that step up when you play somewhere on Technics and you're like, wow, this is so much easier. Everything's, you know, just gliding so much better. It's, um, I'm not having to push things or like, yeah, it's it's such a difference. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, what was your kind of clubbing, your early clubbing days like? How did you discover the clubbing scene in Germany and what was that like? Um, I mean, Germany was, I mean, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm born and raised in Dresden. Dresden is like, one and a half, two hours from Berlin. Mm -hmm. So that means my city was completely influenced by Berlin. Mm -hmm. So all the DJs who played in Berlin came to Trayson to play here. Loads of DJs and friends I knew from the first days on moved to Berlin just to yeah, become big DJs there. Most mm -hmm. of them failed and came back <laughs> after a few years. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah. The, the problem is that, uh, yeah, Tracen was all about techno, minimal, mm. and there was just a really, really small house scene. And in the beginning, because of my, my classmates, well, yeah, also more into, into techno, I was, uh, I was a, a big fan of, of Sven Bed. Mm -hmm. So I was a really a kind of a fanboy. So I was traveling through Germany to see him playing. I think... I was never really into the music he played, mm -hmm. but he was for me and is still one of the best DJs in terms of telling a story in his DJ sets, how going up and down to build a dramaturgy and, and um, yeah, and, and also selecting music and DJ skills. And mm -hmm. so he's one of the best guys in this kind of business and he's having charisma and he's uh, this kind of guy. So I, I think... I just was obsessed yeah, of him just because of his technical skills. And, yeah. and I, was, I wasn't the guy who's, who stands in the first row dancing and screaming. I was always the, the, the nerdy guy staying in the corner and, uh -huh. and, and watching him and, and, and writing down <laughs> uh, notes, well, what he's doing and, yeah. and, and songs. So, um, yeah, that's, I think for me, was the, the, 
this time was more like an uh, to, to, to get the experience how this business works, how it is, how he behaves in front of a dance floor, how he's reacting to the crowd, how is he trying to read the crowd. So mm-hmm. I, I was more into like this. And then yeah, after a while, a little sort of house disco, how I think was like 2000, um, a, a club who just played house music, opened its doors. Mm-hmm. It was called German Club. And it was for me, it was the first time that I, on a musical side, I feel, okay, this is exactly my thing. Yeah. And that's, this is also a reason why I called my new album Exotica, because being surrounded from, from friends who are into techno and literally the whole city is into techno and minimal and everything. I felt really exotic to love disco and house because none of my friends were into this kind of music. So, mm-hmm. I mean, none of the friends I knew at that time, of course, through the new club, I, I got new friends or made new friends. But at that time, most of my friends were just into techno and I felt really exotic. Mm-hmm. Living in a city with with no uh, passion for house music, but it changed uh, in in the beginning of the Norgies. Yeah, the club called German Club opened its doors, and they uh, throw parties every two weeks. Mm-hmm. And it was a bit like I think the owner was was really obsessed from Studio Fifty Four. Was this kind of vibe? So yeah, okay. he sp- he spent a lot of money and effort in in decoration, in dancers, mm-hmm. in in the whole thing. He refurbished the venue every two weeks so it was the dj booth was on a different place every two weeks so every two weeks you you entered the venue Mm -hmm. it was a totally new vibe and the decoration was different and the music and and he booked djs like uh tyree cooper or those guys were Mm -hmm. really heroes at that time or or kenny dope or Mm -hmm. all those guys so and it was my first contact with with proper house music and and the a, a guy the resident of the club we we became friends so we, we're still a really a good friends yeah. so he i think i appreciate that he, he did a lot for the for the city um so and it was a totally new uh yeah way to experience music for me yeah yeah and yeah like you say if it's a to really invest in this club and like completely change it every few weeks and you know for essentially what like you said was you know not necessarily the big sound of that time it shows real kind of uh, commitment to that kind of sound I mean were you going there and were you producing tracks at this point as well were you wanting to get things played there or you know perform there or whatever what was the what was the kind of next stage for you no i just i just started so i was on a really really low level and i i have never had the idea to to show the songs or to play the songs to someone Mm -hmm. i mean i wasn't i wasn't connected to to them so it was it was so far away i was just a nerdy guy who went to the club mostly by my own because most of my friends didn't like the music and so just just to listen to the music and mm-hmm. to get inspired and then I went back home and and, and tried to do the same I, I produced music on a, a really I was I started with Fruity Loops and it was on a really low level I think mm-hmm. I started in the end of 90s actually at the same time as I started uh, training my my DJ skills so I, I was focused on both so as there were 
never at time I say, okay, I, I was just a DJ. I was just a producer. I started more or less at the same time. Yeah. And yeah, I did this kind of, I assembled my favorite disco songs uh, in a really, really bad way. <laughs> but um, at that time, I was so far away for yeah to become a DJ or a, a professional mus- musician or s- stuff like this. So I was mm. just a nerdy guy. It took me a few more years. But um, yeah, then I, yeah, I think I trained my skills and I got better and better. And then I, I recorded uh, mixtapes. Mm-hmm. I think classical thing. I recorded mixtapes. I burned mixed CDs, and then I gave the CDs to to all the promoters uh, in the city just to yeah to get the opportunity to 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 yeah get booked or something. And then yeah. I had the luck to. I, I knew there is like 500 meters from the from my from my house or my parents house where i used to live i knew or i heard rumors that a club will open and i just went to the guys and they were not really uh, into music they had no idea they were really into yeah just opening a club but they had no idea what kind of music they want to play and they okay this could be my chance i gave them the mixtapes and i was I think I was the first guy who contacted them and they said, yeah, he seems to be a nice guy. <laughs> and I, I said, I mean, if you hire me as a DJ, I can help you uh, building the club. I can work. I, I don't want you, you don't need to pay me. I just want to make this happen. And yeah, then we were uh, building the club and um, for like two or three months. And mm-hmm. then I got a residency job. And this is how everything started. Was more or less was a few years later as the German club opened. And I knew what kind of music I want to play. Mm-hmm. And this was the perfect way for me to get the chance to book the DJs who played in other venues in my hometown. Yeah. And then we did like swaps. Okay, I booked them to play in the in the in the club where I was the resident, and then they booked me to other clubs. So this is how we became uh yeah from colleagues to friends and stuff like this. So this was my first contact in the music scene, in the music business uh, in my hometown. Awesome, awesome. And it sounds like a great kind of like semi-big break in that sense. I mean, you have described yourself as an introvert, a nerdy guy. I mean, was it difficult to be like putting yourself out there and, you know, knocking on these doors and saying, hey man, you know, you need to book me. Here's my mix CD. Did you find that difficult in any way? Uh, it, it it took me so long. I think it was actually a friend who forced me and said, okay, we go, I come with you. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. If they say no, that it is what it is. And we go to the next one, yeah. but um, I will come with you. I think alone, I, w- I wouldn't have, I would never go alone to this. That's what I said. So if you come with me, everything is fine. You do the talking. I just stay there, smile and trying to be friendly <laughs> and, and smart and give them. And yeah, but I mean, it was, it was a difficult, I think at that time I already, from the technical skills, I was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I would say I was just without any experience, technical skills say nothing if you don't have any experience how to react to a crowd how mm-hmm. to read a crowd that's what i learned over the yeah. years when i had the re- when i was the resident so i had kind of three four different residencies in in my hometown then the clubs got bigger and bigger and then i was playing like every friday 
five, six, seven, eight hours. And this was, I think for me, the most gainful time in, 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 in terms of reading crowds, mm-hmm. know how to start. I think it's the, the hardest job on a night is the resident job because now for me as a headliner mm-hmm. entering the club and you you know you play peak time every everyone is vibing already you you play two hours or one and a half hours everyone is just waiting for your music is so easy yeah. but building up a night from the scratch from nothing mm-hmm. is is so difficult and this was uh i think was the most important time for me as a dj yeah yeah and we've we've spoken to so many djs on this as well about that importance of a resident and being able to warm up and being able to read the room like you know people are going to fail if if it's your first gig and you're playing in a club and you're playing the warm up slot nine times out of 10 you would be if you're a new dj and you just come in and start banging it out and everyone walks in the room is like what the hell is going on you know to have that kind of finesse and able to to get that crowd moving and vibing properly is it's a real art form definitely it's 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 totally different that's what i uh unfortunately i miss on most of the djs oh i mean what what means djs so Mm. uh they just i mean it's it's another generation they grew up in a different on a different time so it's like it's 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 a totally different level but i I, i'm happy that i could experience uh those years no and it shows you know it's it's to to be able to invest have that time invested in that art form you know it really benefits you in in your later career like you're already saying um i want to talk about your your productions and um you know looking back at them i mean for for us it's really you know Critical Mass started from kind of my house onwards. I mean, in 2013, you know, it's a massive breakthrough single. It samples uh, Judy Clay and William Bell's 1968 Stacks single, Private Number. I mean, what was your relationship with that track before you decided to take it on board and sample it? Was it something that you're already a fan of or something you just discovered or... How did that come about? I started Publisco Machine in 2009 or mm-hmm. 10, I think. And before I, I, yeah, I used to DJ under Stereofunk. It's a different or another another uh, project name. And mm-hmm. I already uh, produced albums and loads of ghost producing jobs. So the, the reason why I stopped the project was that um, I was, I think, was end of the noughties. So like 2008, nine, everything went more in this EDM direction. Mm-hmm. House music was dead. Mm-hmm. So I had no shows. The stereo funk, I made more or less the same kind of music, maybe a more electronic, more kind of justice at banger vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it was also disco influence, funky, groovy, same tempo. Um, but yeah, end of nineties, uh, end of noughties. Um, yeah, house music was dead. So mm-hmm. every house music DJ was struggling. I don't had any shows. I got booked more and more on EDM festivals and was just EDM or mm-hmm. minimal techno and stuff like this. Yeah. And I was so annoyed from this <laughs> EDM music. I said, uh, yeah. And then my agency say, yeah, you need to, to, to play more this kind of music if you want. But I said, okay, I'm going to stop this. Then I stopped the old project because I wasn't just happy anymore. Every week I said, what the fuck I'm doing here? So it's not why i started making music mm-hmm. i ended up playing on edm festivals music i just didn't like just to 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 pay the bills and mm-hmm. and uh, i said okay that's that's not the reason why i started so i have to stop here and luckily i had on as kind of a side business i produced advertising yeah spots for radio and, and television i did ghost producing 
oh, I took ghost producing job for for pop guys and mm -hmm. I produce music for other people and I used to be kind of a I used to be a teacher in an elementary school okay. so to learn them uh, get getting into uh, computer stuff and uh -huh. IT stuff oh, wow. um, just the, 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 the basics so mm -hmm. it was I mean this paid my bills and yeah. It was like a nine to five job to go to school and teach a few things and then go to the studio afterwards and make some music just for me. And then I started Purple Machine without mm -hmm. any pressure. I had no contracts with uh, labels or it was just me making music and mm -hmm. the music I really loved. And I just don't care if someone else is playing the, the music, if it gets signed or not, if it's if I get bookings through the music, I just made the music. And that's why I started uh, with this kind of really deep house music on, on more down-tempo stuff. And this is actually also when I uh, came up with the idea uh, of, of the My House song. Um, mm. I was listening to William Bell, to the album, and to the song Private Number for years. So, mm -hmm. And I always said this... I think there was like nightmares on wax sampled the same sample and I was pretty obsessed with it, just with the sample but I said the nightmares nightmares on wax one was more chilled mm -hmm. and I thought I just I feel this could be something for the dance floors and I I made myself a version just as a mashup mm -hmm. and I played it uh, I yeah from from I got more and more shows I played in the beginning of Purple Disco Machine more kind of uh, in the afternoon kind of beach parties mm -hmm. uh, um, sunset parties um, chilled vibes and I started playing this song and then I realized this one is working really well on the dance floors it's a, it's a nice groove it fits to the time yeah um because it was i mean it, it was a bit deep and this kind of deep house music came up and it was at the right time and then okay i decided to send this one to to labels and i sent it to to andre chrome to off recordings and he was uh, instantly just said okay it's i don't know who you are <laughs> But it sounds amazing. I mean, I never told them the project name before. Mm -hmm. So I was just trying to to starting from scratch, from nothing. So I don't want it to, to connect the, the new music with the old project. Yeah. And so that's why I never told him what kind of music I made and, and who I am. So I just sent them the track and they really liked it. And then um, they signed it. Mm -hmm. And after the release, uh, yeah, my whole life changed. <laughs> Literally, I think this song got released on a Friday and I was just sitting in front of my computer. And after the release on a Friday, I got on the same day two booking requests. I think one from Mexico and one from the UK somewhere. And I've yeah. never played. I mean, I played before with the old project. I played in Europe a few gigs and then getting a request from Mexico <laughs> out of uh, out of the blue. I said, what? <laughs> And then, yeah, we, we heard your song and we're so in love. We, we, we need to book you. I mean, this song got just released today. <laughs> and then every day we got more and more requests. And I had, yeah, I got a new agent and, and it was like, uh, yeah, it changed so quickly and it was hard. And, and the, the most difficult thing was at that time I got my first. So my daughter was born like, mm -hmm. I think, yeah, she was, I think she was five or six months at that time mm -hmm. and there was another reason why i decided to stop the old project just okay i my life will change now i i become a father yeah. i think i need to i'm i'm responsible not just for me i'm also responsible for my baby and for my wife and mm -hmm. everything so i need to make sure that i have a, a proper salary every month so yeah. that's why 
um, I stopped the music thing because it was just unreliable and and no one knew what what happens. So um, yeah, being at home with a little family and realizing, okay, I think now everything is going crazy. <laughs> and my wife, well, in the beginning, she was like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah, just go and and uh, I, I just wait for you. But I think uh, she never realized and and that moment <laughs> what it means to 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 let me go yeah i mean to be a touring dj with a family as well it must be really really hard work you know always out and you know in far flung places hotels airports all those yeah. types of things yeah it must be quite definitely definitely so i'm i really i really appreciate so my wife I mean, we we are still married we are still uh <clears throat> yeah happy so it's like i think for her it's it was so tough the last we now have two kids and it was being at home with the kids mostly alone yeah. and and with me on tour must must be so tough i i was just during i think last year during the lockdown i spent my first weekend alone with the kids <laughs> and i was so exhausted i said i called her on sunday it says please come back i just i'm so exhausted they, they driving me crazy the kids and this was one week and there was literally two days um, oh and she was, yeah, she's just had a weekend off with, with her, uh, with her friends. And so I was like, how you can, how you survive weekends like this? And this mm. actually every weekend. So <laughs> I have no idea. So I'm just, uh, I, I'm just so happy that she's, she's uh, following this part of me. That's great. I mean, yeah, to have that support is essential. Yeah. And, you know, to, to understand how difficult it is as well must be much better yeah. for her for her mental health as well i suppose um i mean just to stay on um onto the my house and uh i mean that track as well like in 2017 devil in me you revisited that that groove and you know you used one of the voices of house music you know Dwayne harden i mean what was the like the thinking behind that update and what was it like working with Dwayne, who's just incredible yeah i mean it was actually an accident so um it's like the music business is working sometimes. So in 2013, my house became a big underground hit. I think at that time was the most uh, selling song at, uh, on on Beatport. Mm-hmm. There were no uh, Camel Fat at that time. So I was the one <laughs> leading, the, <laughs> leading the charts. And so, yeah, so it was like, okay, then the song got signed by a major label mm-hmm. and they decide, okay, I think it's as an instrumental, it's not strong enough. Let's, let's do, um, let's, let's work on the top line. Mm-hmm. And I say, okay, I would like to go in this direction with house guys like uh, Dwayne Harden or because I was really into, like, like I mentioned before, I was really into filter house, mm-hmm. French house and nineties, uh, 2000s uh, stuff. So, um, they came up with, with, uh, Twain Harden and Joe Killing. And I said, Oh my God, this is so good. I was, I was a bit concerned about or worried about in the beginning because most of the songs who started as instrumentals and became a uh, big hits with top lines, in my opinion, were just rubbish. Mm-hmm. And, uh, because, uh, if an original song is good and then you add just a generic top line it never sounds like okay this is this is the right match yeah. but as 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 i got the first demo from joe killington i thought oh my god I, it feels like we wrote the song in a studio together so it was the right fit for the song it mm-hmm. wasn't too much it was enough soul and and funk and groove so it was just perfect 
yeah. but yeah the major label never released it so they signed it in 2013 and mm. they never released it oh, no way. and after after a couple of years like the contract says we got the rights back mm -hmm. and that's why um we decided to put this on the album and to release this as the first single for my first album exotic uh, uh Soulmatic, in 2017 mm -hmm. so that's it took another four years to release the song Mm -hmm. And um, but at the end, this is I think this song is uh, one of the key songs um, or one of the bones of my career because it started in my house. It opened a lot of doors and then on another level, on a more commercial level, it opened again another doors five, six years later with the devil. And me. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's incredible. And you, you mentioned your first album there as well. You know, in terms of that and your, your latest release, um, Exotica. Yeah, when you're putting together an album, um, and it's quite difficult for, you know, um, house music and dance music to exist in album format sometimes, you know, when you're approaching something like that, do you think I'm just going to put a collection of singles together and, and release it? Or do you approach it like I want to put together like a theme and uh, have something that's connected as a whole. Since I was young, I was really obsessed with albums. So I spent all my money in buying album or long players back in the days. So every every Friday or was Monday morning, I went to the to the music store and went through the new albums. Mm -hmm. uh, and so for me, an album was the kind of a masterpiece of an artist. I mean, you can really singles and, and collaborations, but the album is next level. So it's, uh, I always knew I want to make an album. Mm. 
I, I'm not the guy who's just releasing club songs. I want to put out an album just to be more, yeah, with an album, you can be more eclectic. You can look more left and right. You don't need to focus on on, on clubs, on dance floors or on, on radios. So um, I think the, the approach for me working on the album was on the first album, yeah, was like to 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 show myself more as a musician and not just as an artist, uh, as a DJ. Because in this uh, yeah entertainment uh, business, most of the DJs are just DJs having ghost producers and stuff like this. And I always was really really into showing everyone, okay, I'm not just a DJ, I'm also a musician, and mm -hmm. I can produce yeah more down tempo songs, more pop songs, and not just. Uh, the same club tune again and again. Mm -hmm. I started working on my first album, I think in 2014, 15, like, like you said, I was collecting songs, I was collecting ideas, but then the whole album thing got a bit more serious. I, I got signed by, by Sweat It Out. And um, so we decided to put out an album and this was okay. Now I have like a deadline at a, yeah, a delivery date mm -hmm. and okay I, now I have a strong or I have a reason to do something to yeah. work on an album to go to the studio and just work on something mm -hmm. and and sometimes I or mostly I need deadlines just to, to motivate myself to to say okay I need to finish this one yeah. so I'm actually quite good in finishing songs I'm, I'm quite quick but if you work on so many different demos and then, okay, before you, you open an old demo to, to, to trying to work again, you say, okay, I, I, let's do something new. But this was a time I said, okay, I need to finish the songs I have already and, and want to make an album. And yeah, it was, was, was a really good time. And, mm -hmm. and um, it sounds, the, the sound of uh, Soulmatic, of course, is a bit different. Mm -hmm. To, to, to now it's mm -hmm. kind of an evolution now to, mm -hmm. to the new sound but it's still it was still Publisco Machine it was still me and I, 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 I still play a few songs in my sets cool and yeah I, that was going to be my next question like how is your sound would you describe it how has it evolved from the first album to this new album that's that's out is it um, just a natural evolution or have you consciously tried to inject some kind of different flavors into this new release no it's actually a natural uh, yeah thing um, I would we, we always like to say it's not a revolution it's an evolution so it's like I think the first album was I was at that time I was really into end of 70s funk original organic uh, vibes soul funk disco um, and the second one now, or well, the the last three four years, I I went more or moved more to, um, I would say, Italo disco, mid eighties electro funk, mm -hmm. kind of. I mean, I I was always influenced by guys like uh, such as um, Giorgio Moroder, Patrick Colley. Mm -hmm. uh, Italo disco was huge in Germany. I think also in in in, in East Germany. I think maybe the I think the reason why it wasn't political enough to 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 yeah cause any problems. That's why um, Italo disco and disco in generally was was huge in east yeah. part of Germany. Um, yeah. This is the music I grew up with. So um, and I'm still in love with Italo disco with Kano with uh, Giorgio Moroder with. Uh, yeah those guys mm -hmm. and as the the stages got bigger my sound went also more 
to this kind of yeah four to the floor more electronic and less organic sound mm -hmm. and um yeah i started i think it's also the, the reason why i started uh collecting vintage synths original synths and and uh yeah i was playing around with those synths and and now i i, I work um, compared to the first album, I would say 80% uh, with, with analog synths. Mm -hmm. And that's why maybe all this sound has changed a bit. So I think there was was a natural evolution of of, um, of the sound. And it's great you're using that original, you know, vintage equipment and, you know, giving it that new life and that different, you can, you can really tell that it's harking back to that era of, you know, those classics like Giorgio Moroder and, and those kind of people. It's, it's, it's really good sound. Um, I mean, how did the album come together? Obviously, we've had lockdown and pandemic and everything like that. Um, did you have a lot of it in place before all of this happened, or did did it and did lockdown change any of your working practices in terms of recording and creating? Yeah, I had actually the copy ID to finish my album in the beginning of last year. So I took uh, January, February last year off, and the plan was to finish the album till end of last, uh, to beginning of last year. So. I had so my my deadline for myself was more okay till March 2020 I have to finish the album but mm -hmm. yeah in March everything changed <laughs> so I didn't went back on tour like planned mm -hmm. so and I realized okay I think uh, it seems so I've now way more time to spend in the studio and the first lockdown started in March yeah suddenly my life changed from being on tour to nine to five job being in a studio um every day and i realized okay i think i should refurbish my demos i think i should work on new demos i started reaching out to musicians i really liked and and as i asked i mean i knew everyone's at home so everyone's in the same situation before working with other musicians was so complicated because everyone was on tour mm -hmm. to find the, the time to work together, to sit together in the studio or even to work remotely was so tough. But after we all were in the same situation, everyone was sucking at home and in lockdown. Mm -hmm. I, I reached out to, to musicians I, I had in mind. I wanted to work with on the album and then, yeah, I, I've, I've, wrote new songs and um for example matt johnson from jamio Kwai from the band um uh, is a big part of the album he mm -hmm. helped me writing on on a few songs or on actually most of the songs then um derek mckenzie the drummer from jamio Kwai, played drums on on a few songs so mm -hmm. there was the was guys uh, there were guys i always wanted to work with them because in 2017 i was on tour with jamio Kwai, mm -hmm. and we became yeah, I mean, not friends, but we were in, in contact all the time. We said, okay, we have to do something together one time. And then, um, yeah, I reached out to them and, and they just did a brilliant job. And then friends of mine. And so it was, was a good time to, to work with other musicians remotely, to contact um, singers, songwriters, to write on new songs. So mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time, especially last year, working uh, on the album in the studio. I would say... 50% of the album was finished before or pre-COVID and the rest, half of the album, uh, yeah, was made uh, during the lockdown. Amazing. And and how did you find it difficult at all? We've spoken to a few people that found it difficult to, to road test things or understand what kind of how good things were without necessarily an audience. You know, did you fall into that camp or were you just happy with what you're producing how and like just more broadly as well how do you road test 
new material and i'm definitely so when i when i work on club tunes um i mean i i come from the from the dj uh perspective so my approach to to to, to make music is what song i would play as a dj mm-hmm. so this is this is my approach so every time when i work on new songs on on, on club tunes I think just as a DJ, I arrange songs how I would play it as a DJ with an intro and an outro and then a bridge and middle eight and stuff like this. So I never thought of uh, let's let's do a pop song and we need verse one then. So I never thought in those kind of structures. I always uh, think as a DJ. Then, as yeah, the songs I, I produced for the clubs, they were was really difficult because this are those songs I, I wrote test. So before I I release a song, for example, like Body Funk or Dished, both songs just started as mashups. Mm-hmm. So I, I had I had never the idea to to release Body Funk as a singer. It started I just mashed up two songs: the Hot Streak a cappella, yeah. and then the Cowbells from uh, from Sylvester. And then uh, I yeah I produced a complete song around. And then I played the song on my on my DJ sets, and uh, I realized this song is working really well. And then we cleared the samples, yeah, and 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 we released it. Same same on Dished. So everything starts as uh, yeah, mesh up songs for my sets. So this was in the beginning was quite complicated. As I finished the first songs for the album, were more club songs. Uh, to not road test the songs mm-hmm. so i had to trust my feelings and so i think it's working i don't know maybe the break is too long i have no idea because i can't road test but all the songs i wrote uh maybe that's that could it's also a reason why i started writing more pop songs because i knew okay i i mean i i don't play the next five six seven months mm-hmm. i i can't play the songs anyway i produce so let's do something different and I started producing more pop songs. I mean, Hypnotize was produced way before uh, the first lockdown. Fireworks was produced way before the lockdown. Mm-hmm. But uh, most of the uh, maybe more down tempo and, and, and pop songs on the album were produced during the lockdown. And with those songs, I never felt I can't road test them. So I was just, uh, I just trusted my experience mm-hmm. from the last 20 years and tried to put all the energy um, in my music. Yeah, yeah. And the, um, you know, you mentioned a few of the singles there that have already been released. Um, do you have a particular favorite track on the album that you're like super, super proud of? Or are you just happy that it's all come together and it's finally getting out there? Um, uh, of course, there are a few songs I really like. I mean, as a musician, you you like the, the, yeah, the newest songs most. So all the songs I wrote three f- years ago, two years ago, I don't like them anymore because <laughs> I listen to them so many times. <laughs> so that's why I've, I'm, I can't say, I mean, I've, hypnotized open again so many doors and i just i'm still in love with the song because for me the song is so timeless and classic but of course there are songs i listen i still listen a lot to to the song from the album mm. it's mostly the new songs the song i wrote uh just a few months ago or finished a few months ago for example at the disco is, is one of those songs i wrote with Lawrence roder because he's he's a close friend and we we produce music together since many years and it's just working with him in his studio is so intense and so productive and so inspiring that it's uh he's one of the best musicians i've ever met he's so quick and and 
so good with his hands is unbelievable so yeah at the disco and money money is another song mm-hmm. um shows more um, my love um for prince and and this kind of decade and it's yeah it's it's a new experience to produce songs with more like a, a yeah song structure with verse and chorus and middle eight parts mm-hmm. it's it's yeah it's a new thing but i i really love it so i really like it good yeah no it's always good to learn and and, uh, you know change your ways of working and do different things and not do the same thing over and over it's you know how how you grow as an artist definitely i mean um your your remixes as well i mean you've done some great work with a whole variety of different artists and you've also remixed some absolute classics like shakedowns at night and fatboy slim's praise you i mean how do you approach remixing what is generally seen as classic tracks i mean is it daunting um what you try and what are you trying to bring to them when you when you take on something like that i get so many requests to remix classics so for me to to say yes or to to go for it is i need to have a connection to the song mm-hmm. um shakedown at night was uh, yeah one of those songs in the mid noughties really important for me i was really really I was playing this song, I think it was the Kid Cream remix. I was playing over and over and over. So it was, it was a great song. And then the same with uh, Fatboy Slim, Praise You. Fatboy Slim is the first album, the second one. I mean, it's it's a different sound. It was kind of big beat, but I, I just loved it. His, his way to sample music. Mm-hmm. And so I was obsessed and Praise You was one of my all-time favorites. That's why, I mean, the story about Praise You is also different because, uh, I mean, uh, Fatboy Slim uh, did a remix for um, uh, for Devil and Me. Mm-hmm. And we agreed to, to more like a, 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 a remix swap. <laughs> and he said, okay. And then we got um, the request for to remix Fatboy Slim. I think one of his uh, newer uh, releases. I said, yeah, mm. I don't know. I, I I love the song, but I I I can't see me remixing this song. And I'm just I, I want to remix "Praise You" and say, "Sorry, yeah, no, praise you." Um, we don't plan any "Praise You," uh, "Praise You" um, re-releases or anniversary releases. Or it's just I mean, we did so many remixes. So sorry, then it's not. And then uh, I think three months later, I asked my manager, uh, can we ask again if I can do Praise You? And then I think this, we did it 10 times and they, I think at the end they were so annoyed. <laughs> so, okay, fuck it, just send this guy the stems and see what, what happens. <laughs> and yeah, then um, I got the stems and I, I did the remix mm-hmm. and everyone loved it. Mm-hmm. And then I said, okay, now we have a great remix, but we still don't have an idea why we should release it because we don't plan to release this. We don't have a label. Mm-hmm. Uh, Skint didn't want to do it and said, okay, let's reach out to Defected because we work really close together with Defected. And mm-hmm. so this, how everything, uh, or we, how we came up with, with, with the remix. So I was like, I was really insisting. I said, maybe I was a bit annoying. I don't know. Um, but I try to say, okay, no, I don't want to re- uh, remix anything just praise you because for me i mean he's a legend mm. the his 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 early work is, is so good and and praise you is one of those outstanding songs and i thought okay if then just this nothing else and yeah and and yeah but uh, f- i mean for me the approach doing a remix is like i said 
I need to, to, to like the original mm -hmm. and I don't want to create a completely new sound. For me, I, I just try to be as close as possible to the original, just to, to catch the original vibe, mm -hmm. the original feeling and m turn this into a more purple disco machine, more funky disco groovy kind of sound. And that's what I did with, uh, yeah, with um, Praise You or with Shakedown or mm -hmm. with, uh, yeah, with Lady Gaga's song. So I just, as, as a, I just thinking how I would play or what I would play as a DJ, what kind of version of this song I would play as a DJ. And then it's, it's, it's ex actually the same what Lenny Levin uh, was doing mm -hmm. ages ago. So he was also this kind of, okay, doing DJ versions of extended version or what's, what Dimitri from Paris is, is doing. Mm -hmm. So kind of DJ DJ uh, extended dub versions of, of songs. Yeah, yeah. Instead of having to do it live with, you know, two versions yeah. of the track or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's great to inject. That and just focus on the on the most important parts of the song. So, I mean, just that's what I'm doing. So just to, to focus on the on the important parts. If it's just the chorus and the verse isn't really working on the dance floor, then I just keep the chorus and, yeah, trying to do more and more dubby versions. So it, it really depends on on this song yeah and like he has been fat boy slim he has been playing it in his recent mixtapes that he's been playing in his recent gigs so that that's the ultimate stamp of approval i'd imagine hearing yeah he there. obviously like like the song so i mean we we met a couple of times and he's i really appreciate that that, that i did the remix and so um i mean he's a legend so yeah. he yeah. it's just unbelievable yeah, I mean, we, I've, I have interviewed him for this podcast and, you know, been sat around his house and it was it was very, very hard not to like completely just freak out that this whole thing was kind of happening at, the, at that moment. So, yeah, yeah, the guy is an absolute legend. And he's a really nice guy, really humble and polite and nice. He's not mm -hmm. this kind of egoish, uh, yeah, arrogant idiot. So he's really nice and, and, and smart. Yep. Yeah, no, such a good guy and um well i mean you mentioned there as well defected and lady gaga as well i mean there were some over lockdown some like live stream events for you put out on your own youtube channel as well and you did some um like a live streaming gig for lady gaga and her fans as well and the defective festival and all of those things how did you find doing those live streams and do you think that that is going to be another element of clubbing for the future or just a side effect of covid at the time i mean knowing that uh i'm scared to stay in front of real people so i really <laughs> liked it to be honest <laughs> I, I really felt i felt really comfortable just just me in my studio mm -hmm. uh listening to the music i love now but uh kidding i mean i mean 20 years later now i'm i, I played so many shows and i've just now i i know what i what, what i'm good in mm -hmm. so i've I really love to play in front of real crowd and see the smiling, the smile and the faces to get the energy back. Because I mean, all the energy I put in my songs, I usually get the energy back over the weekends when I play the songs and, and I can see the reaction. And I get so many people tell me so many stories that, uh, yeah, they got over difficult times because of my music. And so it's just, this helps me, uh, yeah, keep doing what I, what I do. So, um, but then, yeah, ending up doing live streams uh, in a in a studio without any emotions, mm -hmm. without uh, with no crowd, no people. I feel I felt a bit 
strange and mm -hmm. odd in the beginning. So I wasn't actually in the beginning, I wasn't the biggest fan. So I, it, it took me a while. I had to convince myself to do it because in the beginning I said, no, I don't want to do it. I mean, the, the, the whole, my whole Instagram was full of live streams mm -hmm. in the beginning. Everyone found out, okay, it's a, it's a way to, to uh, st stay connected with the people. And, um, but then I got so many requests from from fans. So many fans wrote me if, when I do my first and said, okay, let's do something. I don't want to collaborate with brands just to, to make money. I said, okay, if we do it, then I will do it for free on my own channel, not over Twitch where the people have to donate or pay. I just do it on my channels, mm -hmm. um, accessible for everyone. And yeah, then we started this uh, uh, yeah Sunday sessions and um, and it worked really well. So uh, and I really enjoyed it because mm -hmm. it was Sunday afternoon. I had finally a reason to get out of my four walls to go to the studio to do something. Yeah, and I, to turn also it kept me yeah digging for new music, mm -hmm. listening to demos, and not just say, oh, I mean, I don't have any shows, so why I should listen to new music or yeah. so it was really inspiring i went through my record collection my vinyl collection so because the, the i decided to do the first uh sunset sessions just vinyl only so i went through my collection and uh, was playing just my favorite disco songs on vinyl mm -hmm. what uh, um yeah vinyl only sets i usually can't do anymore because i'm I'm too too lazy to carry all my stuff with me, so <laughs> that's why it was a good thing to do it at home. And yeah, it was was really cool. It was really nice to to feel to had the haptic of of playing vinyl again, mm -hmm. to playing on a turntable, to yeah. to feel the vinyl, to smell it, and it was really good. So I really enjoyed it. But after a while, uh, yeah, it was like mm, I just can't wait to to play in front of real people. So let's let's stop this and just wait till till yeah normal life yeah yeah comes back well it's coming it's coming yeah hopefully it'll be uh <laughs> finally yeah yeah and uh, what are you most excited about um about this new reopening of the world um do you uh is it traveling again or you know just getting like you know being in front of a crowd or you know getting your album out there actually everything so i mean before it was like even the smell of the airport, I was just, I just hated it. Traveling was so, I mean, I was the last years uh, before, uh, yeah, the pandemic started, was, I was on tour like 150, 200 days a year. Mm -hmm. And was, traveling was just too much. And I had also this kind of experience. Um, I mean, a lot of people talking of mental health and especially in the music industry, is it, I think it's, we should talk about, more often because i know so many djs who's struggling a lot mm -hmm. um, because i mean there's i don't felt any pressure i think it was just me who who just thought okay i have to take all the festival requests i have to play everything and so i had, I had this moment in 2000 it was end of 2018 i was i think i was in mexico and i just remember i was just i was really down i got a bit depressed and I just it it doesn't felt like joy anymore it felt mm -hmm. like hard work and I, and I couldn't enjoy the tour anymore this was a problem I said okay I was again on 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 a um yeah on a point of my life like as I was um as I stopped the, the first project okay I, I'm 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 again here and I feel I can't enjoy this anymore I'm just mm -hmm. 
rushing from one show to another. Every time I'm on tour, I, I was just missing my family. I was missing my kids, my wife. When I went back home for two or three days, I couldn't really enjoy the time because I was planning the next tour already or we were working or had to go to the studio or had appointment here, appointment there. So yeah. I was like, I, I could neither enjoy touring because I was with, with my mind, I was at home. But when I was at home, I couldn't also enjoy home because I was in my mind, I was planning the business again and, and talking about the next. So it was, it was just horrible. And I got really depressed and, and um, I said, okay, I have to stop this. And I just called, I was, I was sitting in Mexico and says, I had, I think two or three more shows and I never did it before. And I never did it uh, afterwards. So and I called my travel agent and so sorry, I, I have to, I have to cancel this tour and I've just booked me the, the next flight back home. And I, yeah, I drove to the airport, flew back home. And the moment I was entering the play and going back home, I felt so free. And so I just was, I, I don't know what it was, but I said, yeah. okay, now I'm going back home. No one knows that I'm coming. I think I will surprise my family. Hopefully mm -hmm. it, it, it's it's going well. So, <laughs> I mean, a surprise in this way uh, can be difficult anyway. But um, yeah, so... Okay, then I had a really long chat and I had a death with my ear as well. So I was really um, had issues with tinnitus and, and mm -hmm. stuff like this. So, uh, yeah, and I had a really long conversation with the agency and, and I found out that actually no one uh, took me on bread or no one said I have to play all of those shows. Everyone, I mean, my booking agent is having kids. My manager, Matt, is having kids. So everyone understood the situation that I just, can't handle my private life and and the, the business life anymore and i was yeah. uh i have to change things and then um yeah and then from 2019 onwards we decided to to balance everything a bit better i i took one month uh one, one weekend off uh every month i didn't play any show just two three shows maximum a week i didn't play it tours for two weeks in a row i said okay just six days in a row away from home mm -hmm. and so from 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 this day on i feel i felt really better so my health got better the relationship to my wife and of course to my kids as well got better mm -hmm. and and then yeah if, and then the pandemic we are hitting us so and then from one day to another i was completely at home mm. yeah i mean uh, to to have that strength of of choice and character like you say in mexico and be like right I, I just get me out of here and then to have that reaction on the plane to feel good about it you know that's obviously the the, the best decision that you made and then i think this whole pandemic has afforded so many artists and creatives and people that are on a you know kind of a treadmill just to kind of reset take stock and and now we're going to reapproach kind of a new world and a different world you know to really look after yourself and um you know be mindful of what you've got coming up in your diary and everything it sounds like you're already there with that definitely and and, and that's why coming back to your question now i i've i can really again enjoy playing playing shows so we are still say okay i don't play more than three shows in a row i don't go on tour for more than six days i have weekends off in between i can enjoy and and and, and still after uh, even after one and a half years at home i just can't see me 
going crazy and play all around the world every week. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would love to. Uh, I would love to go to Australia. It's, it's such such a long time ago that I played my last Australia tour. I would love to go there. I would love to go back to to Asia. Uh, next month, I finally go back to to the states to play there, and then in in, in November. F- uh to to south america uh so i just can't wait to 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 play shows again and so uh, i can say i really really enjoy shows now um again and 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 this is the most important thing for me i can now enjoy my life at home i mm-hmm. can enjoy the time with my family the quality time but i also I'm, I'm, i i can be in the moment that was the, the biggest problem i was never in the moment i was always somewhere else mm. and now I'm, I'm i mean i'm still learning i'm, I'm i think it's still a long way to go but i i'm way better in being in the moment just enjoying the moment don't thinking about what's next just stay in the moment and and this is what i learned on on tour when i when i play my my shows being in the moment just enjoy the music the the connection to the people but also when I when I be with my family to to enjoy the moment. Yeah, I, I mean, and to to have that understanding, the power of now. There's nothing more powerful yeah. than than that, and being mindful and in the moment. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, we we have been talking a while now, so I, I you know I want to move on to our um our playlist that we have on Spotify. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Our um, perfect playlist. It's it's a playlist that um every single person we've spoken to has submitted five tracks based on different themes, and I think the playlist is now nearly it's over 24 hours long i think so it's 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 a massive beast and it's got some amazing choices in there and new discoveries for our listeners and you know i want to talk to you about what your choices are and um we always start off with with a catalyst and we have kind of talked a little bit about this uh, this these artists and um this album in particular obviously you've chosen um daft punk da funk specifically um have you got anything more to say about that particular track and why it's you know important to you as a catalyst um i mean i, I just love the whole homework album but this song the funk was uh one of those songs who just stuck, stuck on my mind so i was i was so obsessed from this song of, of course around the world and music or those songs were also pretty inspiring but mm-hmm. i don't know what the funk was was like and and the video as well the video. the video was just i mean there are not so many music videos i still remember mm-hmm. and so and and this is one of one of those uh, really outstanding songs yeah no it's a, it's a, it's incredible um okay so your next choice we talk about a floor filler and um can you remember what you've chosen or do you want me to remind you yeah but i think body funk body funk yeah your own because track. yeah it's like like i mentioned before so mm. um floor filler means uh yeah i was i was starting body funk as a mesh up and i realized when i played uh this mesh up way before it turned into body funk mm-hmm. at a publicity machine release it was the floor filler so it was one of the key songs then uh in 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 my in my sets and a song everyone uh yeah wanted to listen to and everyone was requesting so this why this one became uh yeah one of my my uh yeah key songs in the sets at that time yeah i, I mean that's uh, that hot streak sample is just like a call to arms yeah. get on the dance floor it's definitely yeah um okay a sunsetter you've chosen inspector norse yeah I'm I'm big fan of Tertesh and uh, his music, his way to to produce music. I mean, he's also producing just on vintage synths, and 
he's got this really really unique vibe um it's kind of this kind of scandinavian jesse vibe so in this it's and i really appreciate uh, musicians who have found his own path and doing just yeah unique music and don't following any hypes and that's yeah. what i also like like on on his music and, and inspector norse is is one of those songs this i think it's the song with the best arrangement and dramatic degree it, it goes always up and then you have those chord changes with just goosebumps mm-hmm. and this arp appreciator is, is good the drums are on point so it's like it's a perfect song yeah great um okay a tearjerker for you um you've already spoken about this artist it's in the air tonight yeah mm. yeah it's like it's it's also what i mentioned uh, my first concert with my parents and i just i don't i can't remember that much from the concert because it was too many things and going on 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 this this day but what i remember was in the air tonight and it was like the um yeah the the arena was like the stage was like a circle mm-hmm. and he was just walking around and then on the top was the the drums and then he walked up to the top and then he played the his iconic drum solo and i just this song was is and it's still so important every time i listen to the song or song uh, it's on the radio i just turn it louder and then i, I, I still in this moment when I was 13 or 14 on the shoulder of my dad singing the mm-hmm. song and, and um, yeah, I was really into this trump fills. I think that the, the, the most uh, or the, the reason why is because at that time we, we, we didn't spoke any English. So I, I didn't understood the lyrics. Mm-hmm. So that's why for me, it was just singing nonsense. That's why I was just focused on the, on the instrumentals on the on the keys on the drums and everything um so um that's why i was so obsessed from from his drum solos and for me he's one of the best and he's he isn't one of the best singers but definitely one of the best drummers in the world yeah no I, like that drum fill is completely iconic and you just yeah. describing that that gig experience there it just gave me a yeah. shiver hearing that description it was yeah, yeah it sounds incredible definitely uh okay a last tune uh, the crowd are asking for one more. What do you play? It's Lionel Richie all night long. It's mm-hmm. like um, it's like, it feels like an encore. So in in I think for for like two three years, I played this song on the festivals outside sunset or what else mm-hmm. as a last song because um, I really like to to end my set with a groovy easy listening song not too stressful not too too powerful and this is the perfect song everyone knows everyone can sing along mm-hmm. with a perfect groove a perfect vibe and so this is for me the perfect uh ending uh, of, of my set yeah it's perfect and the way it eases you into that i love the, the opening of yeah. it and then it all kicks off it's great yeah um okay i mean we have one final question um before we wrap this up and that is uh you know obviously thank you for joining us uh we are house culture and you are part of the house culture part of the scene you know you've been in it for a number of years under different names and you've produced uh, you know, iconic albums tracks you know you've been super successful um, apart, aside from 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 that, what what else has the culture of the scene brought to you in your life, and what does it really mean to you when you when you look at what you've achieved? You know, how, how do you sum it all up? Yeah, I mean, the, for me, the best thing 
every week and when I'm on tour is when I realize the music is what brings everyone together, black and white, all kinds of religion. So no one cares on the dance floor. No one cares who the guy next to you is. So so it, it connects music. And the most important thing is just the music. We share just one passion for music and everyone is equal. So this is this is the most important thing. And this is also something what, what makes me happy every week. And when I, when I travel around the world and see that people just want to, to share the same passion for music together on the dance floor. And, and, and this is something uh, which connects everyone. That is the perfect final thought, I think, to end on. That is exactly why we all get on that dance floor. Thanks. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, it was a nice, nice thing to chat. Have a nice day and cheers. Bye-bye. House Culture. Okay, guys. I mean, wow. What an absolute privilege it was to have just spent the last hour and a bit in the company of a genuine house music superstar. I love that one. I want to personally thank Tino and the Purple Disco Machine team for making that happen. Wasn't it fascinating to hear how he's gone from being a ghost producer, a resident DJ, a radio creative via primary school teaching to the mega club and festival stages of the world? He has certainly paid his dues and deserves all the plaudits that his new album Exotica is currently receiving. Make sure you check that out as it contains many future anthems that I'm sure you'll be hearing for years. And whilst you're over on Spotify, make sure you start following the House Culture Perfect playlist where you can find all of the choices from our previous podcast guests as well as Purple Disco Machine's Butte Submissions. Just fire up your Spotify player, search for House Culture Perfect playlist and prepare yourself for an onslaught of epic tunage from which you cannot escape. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to love, like, tweet and share as well as leave us a rating or review on Apple. We love hearing from you and are always happy to share your kind words with the rest of our listeners. This time around, I'm giving a huge shout out to Rebecca Hemsley-Bauer. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. 
No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Who said that our podcasts have kept her going whilst in lockdown in Ibiza? Well, Rebecca, we in the House Culture crew are happy to have made an impact in your world and helped you through the difficult time we've all faced. Make sure to spread the word and stay tuned for those new episodes. And if you want to join our party at House Culture, please hit up our Instagram feed at housecultureNet or follow the hashtag TrueHouseCulture. Ours is a place that is a massive community that will not only keep you up to date with news on when season four of the podcast will launch, but will also connect you with other beat lovers from across the world. And finally, if you want to get in touch with me, Matt Rouse, you can do it directly on Instagram at DJ Matt Rouse. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. See you in the new year. House Culture.